Welcome to episode number 36 of the Four Animals for Earth podcast, Sustainability. What is your why with Jay? So it's kind of about appreciating and balancing where you are an individual and kind of doing what you can while also having to acknowledge where our systems have failed us and how we can work within them and outside of them to push us all forward. That was my friend Jay from the In Omnia Paradis podcast. Jay and I had been talking a few months ago about the nuances that exist in sustainability and how there truly is no one-size-fits-all solution for any of the problems that we're facing right now with helping animals or helping the environment. And we both felt like there's not enough forums where that conversation is happening and where we are talking to each other on an individual level about what works in our lives and why those things work for us and what fuels our passion to keep wanting to make a difference on those specific things. And so as we were talking about wishing we could have more conversations like this, we ended up deciding to do um, like a show exchange. So she invited me to come on In Omnia Paradis. And on her show, we talked about um, the intersection between sustainability and ableism, between sustainability and classism. And we just had a, you know, down to earth, honest conversation about some of the harder parts of sustainability and what could maybe be a way to navigate those. And then I invited her to come onto my show to continue that conversation and to share with you some of the conversations that she and I had been having back and forth just about the way that our individual lives have formed our opinions about what the best path is for sustainability. And so we decided to bring some of those topics onto the show here with you today and I hope that you enjoy, you know, listening in and being a part of this conversation. The simple idea for today's episode is to foster more conversation with the people in your life about sustainability. And if you are at all interested in having this conversation with Jay and I, I have two cool, interesting ways to do that. So the first is Jay and I are going to be hosting a clubhouse room together on Tuesday, March 30th at 12 o'clock noon Pacific Standard Time. So if you happen to be on the clubhouse app and you are willing to join us, we would really love to have you for that conversation. It's called Sustainability. What is your why? And if you are not already connected to me on clubhouse, you can find me under Brandy Heidi Montague and I will make sure that you're set up to be able to join us on Tuesday. And then the second cool way that you can get involved is by leaving me a voice memo. The software that I use to broadcast the podcast actually has functionality where you can call in and leave a voice memo, and it's super easy to do. You go to anchor.fm slash Earth, and you'll see a thing that says, leave a message. So what I would love for you to do is I would love for you to go and leave me a message telling me what is your why? What makes you 
want to help animals and the planet? What about your life has formed your passion for doing that? And I'm hoping to create a roundup episode where we can all hear what each other's whys were. And I feel like that'll just be so exciting and inspirational and such a great way for us to connect. So to join in the conversation, you could either join us on Tuesday on Clubhouse if you happen to have that app. And if you don't, you can go to anchor.fm slash for animals for earth and leave me a voice message that I will add into a roundup episode to follow up on this. Okay, guys, for everything for today, all of the links I just talked about, the show notes, the transcript, all that good stuff, you can find that at foranimalsforearth.com slash podcast slash 36. Hi there, this is Brandy, and you're listening to the Four Animals for Earth podcast. This is a space where we inspire each other to take small steps every day to live a more conscious life, helping animals and the planet while we do it. I'm so glad that you're here. Let's all take a deep breath and let's get started. In in your life, Jay, I wonder if there are things that you have noticed, if there's anything that sticks out right off the top of your head as being one of the main reasons that you have a passion now for doing something to help the environment or help animals. I feel like part of growing up is just kind of when you know more, you want to do more. So for me, one of my life goals has always to been a has always been to be a parent one day. And hearing people around my age and a little bit older second guess that because of what our world could come to has definitely opened my eyes in a way that other things haven't. And it's not that I haven't cared prior to this, but I think it really takes a personal note for people to kind of get that really big fire and wanting to advocate and wanting to put their time, money, and effort and use their platforms to speak on such things because without that, it's all kind of a concept like we're running out of water, we're running out of fresh air, carbon, our atmosphere is doing this, but it's like there's so many things going on systemically globally it can be very overwhelming as a concept but when it hits closer to home I feel that's when you start implementing changes and therefore can influence other people by your own actions I love how you just worded that like so eloquently and I absolutely agree. I think there is something in each of us that if we've gotten to a point that we want to do something to make a difference, there's something that triggered that or caused that. And you mentioned children. So is it, is there a lot of conversation happening? Um, I mean, so I will say, okay, I have children, right? So there's a lot of conversation happening among parents that, what do we do? Like, how do we help our kids grow up being good stewards of the earth and treating other humans and other animals with compassion? But there's also a big fear of 
what is the earth even going to look like for them when my children are my age or when I'm, you know, my grandma's age and my children, yeah, I guess then they're my age, you know, but then I have potentially grandchildren or great grandchildren. What's the world going to look like for them? Is that the type of conversation that you're talking about? Just kind of that fear of what it might look like? And are people considering not having children because of that? Yeah, so the first time I heard something like this, it was a relatively prominent political figure around my age was doing an Instagram live and brought this point up about, I don't even know if I want to have kids. And then I saw because of that comment and the fact that she said it, a lot of news media kind of picked it up and was like, is this being dramatic? Is this being this? And then kind of doing not enough because it kind of was very overwhelming, but doing a little bit of research into what the world could look like in 15 20 years because it's not just you don't want to just have the kids and then be like we'll figure it out after once they're here god willing they're gonna live a long healthy life but if the world they're coming into is already decaying at such a rapid rate that they might not have that are you really giving those humans the best shot rather than fulfilling a personal need. Sorry, that's really deep. No, I was just going to say, I feel like that is a really profound way to look at it and a very selfless way to look at it. You know, I don't know how many people really think about, like you said, just jumping in versus saying, okay, well, like, can I, do I feel pretty confident that I can set my children up with a bright future before making the decision to have children? I mean, I, I feel like that's um, just really commendable and and I feel like really, um, really selfless in, in thinking that way. And um, like you said, you know, it's kind of hard because it, it talks about the problem, but it doesn't really provide a lot of good solutions, does it? You know, it's like you, then you start thinking about all these different reasons that maybe we shouldn't have children. But then how do we how do you come to terms with what is a solution? And do you find that people um, it just kind of fuels the fire for we all need to do something? Definitely did personally, like to preface it as much as I have been having those thoughts. I'm someone who's wanted a big family cheaper by the dozen style since I was a very young child. So there would be, it would need to be a very serious internal thing for me to not have kids. I really want to have children. However, that's why I'm personally trying to do what I can in research environmentalism and sustainability because I want kids and I want to have a planet that they can exist on as opposed to I'd rather find a way so that I can have kids successfully than to just give up and be like, well, I'd rather live my life the way I am today as opposed to cutting back on laundry, looking into sustainable consumer options, looking into other things. I'd rather put in kind of the work and invest now so that I can invest in my kids later down the road. So that's the kind of the conversations I've been looking in, but I feel that I am known to be very type A, very perfectionist, and when I kind of go down a rabbit hole, I can very easily get overwhelmed, and sustainability is a very large rabbit hole, as you know when we discussed it on my podcast. There were a lot of points, a lot of articles that we'd all 
pull for and the more you look into one it's like oh well water and then it's like oh okay well it's not just water it's water and then carbon going into the atmosphere and it's not just carbon going into the atmosphere it's the water to make meat and like one that really discouraged me and it can sound pretty superficial at the beginning is I'm someone who personally prefers the taste of almond milk in their coffee to begin with. I'm not a big regular milk drinker, big ice cream fan, but I actually like the way almond milk tastes better. And I remember when there was this phase of people being like, almond milk takes almost as much water comparable to like regular milk. So yes, you're not using the dairy, but then you're using so much more water to get the almond milk. And then it's like, it was a chart of like all of the non-dairy milks and their water content usage. So it's, you try to switch one thing and then there's another environmental factor equally as important to need to consider. And so it's very easy to try to find simple, small solutions, but also when those simple, small solutions also kind of reverberate in another area of sustainability, it becomes even more overwhelming. Yeah. You know, it's, that's so true. And I think that having that anchor of your why, like your reason that you started caring in the first place, I can see how that is something that can help carry you through. You know, it's like, for me, I think it's animals, you know, it started with me when I was three on the farm. And ever since then, that, that's a very, like, animal cruelty and trying to stop animal cruelty is kind of like my strongest why among everything else. And it does help to have something that you kind of fall back and you go, okay, wait, I don't want to give up. I want to at least try. But like you said, it is so, so hard on all of these different factors. And you think you found something and you're doing it and it's like, yeah, this is making a difference. And then there's, it, I feel like on most most initiatives, I find something. If I wanted to, I could Google and find a reason that I shouldn't do that thing. And so I have really constantly gone back and forth on this balance in my personal life of like when I learn new information, you know, deciding, okay, am I going to change what I'm doing or am I going to keep what I'm doing? But how do I make sure I do one of those two things instead of just giving up and kind of saying there, there's no point. Um, yeah. So I love that you've shared that because I really think that's something that probably everybody relates to that is going through trying to make a difference. Um, so recently there's been a lot of, I guess what I would say, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this. There's been a lot more awareness of anti-Asian sentiment here in the U.S. And I think from what I've heard from friends over the years that it's not a new thing, but I do think in the past week it's much more well-known. And you and I have talked about this a little bit and how that how just I think stereotypes against Asian people intersect with sustainability and how those that intersection can continue to feed anti-Asian sentiment. 
And I thought maybe we could talk about that a little bit today because I know you identify as an Asian woman and I would love, at, well, as an American Asian woman, right? And actually I would love for you to even just correct me on those two things and to just share a little bit about yourself and your culture and then a little bit about what you and I have talked about where you think that that sustainability specifically could be hurting the relationship between American Asian people and other Americans. Definitely. So I say Asian American. I do know some people who say American first. I think it's a personal preference thing. I guess for me, I say Asian American due to the fact that if I'm walking down the street, you're gonna know I'm Asian before you know I'm American. So that's kind of just the way I see it. And additionally, I mean, I think this is obvious, but just I'm used to disclaiming for my own podcast. I am not speaking for every Asian in America. I know there is a diverse group of thought. And I, frankly, when Brandy asked me to be on this podcast, I did my own research into Asian Americans and sustainability because I really did only know my experience. But I am adopted into a predominantly white family. So I myself am Asian American, but I don't necessarily have a quote unquote normal Asian American experience, which is why I wanted to do some research into people who are more culturally involved and have been up, brought up with that because I think my view is not the typical one. So trying to make sure I'm even educating myself on the Asian experience is also very important. I think the thing with Asian stereotypes, particularly that's so hard, is they haven't been looked at negatively because they're not very negative stereotypes. Some of the ones I come up with, they eat rice. Okay, that's just a, that's just a thing. And then they're good at math. I don't know anyone who's like, ooh, you're good at math. That makes you lame. Like that. And then also... There have been a lot of charts I've seen in past years where it's like they kind of take for every dollar a white male makes and then they rank everyone else. Asian women are right under white men and Asian men are slightly above white men. So another stereotype that is not a a harmful or a bad one in society. It looks like something that look what Asians are doing. They're set they're setting themselves up. They're succeeding. They're that's where their standards are. And what I think can be harmful about that is we're very, I think, if anything has kind of been shown us over the last five, six years in sentiment, we have very difficult time, Americans or humans, I don't know, have a very difficult time holding multiple things to be true. So when one of the stereotypes against Asians is they're financially set, they're able to pull themselves up from their bootstraps, look at them succeeding and thriving in business and tech and STEM. When it comes to other comments such as name calling and microaggressions, it can very easily be dismissed because it's like, well, on a large scale, Asians are doing fine. The model minority myth, Asians are fine. Asians are succeeding. And they're not really, and kind of the why isn't really looked into as, well, why are Asians succeeding at higher rates than other groups? Or what 
barriers do Asians not have or what about their culture is different? So I feel like all of those factors can kind of add into anti-Asian sentiment and why it's been harder for people to see until now. I think it does, like we said earlier, take something personal. And I think watching what happened in Atlanta kind of shook a lot of people. And in terms specifically, in terms of sustainability, this is, it's an Asian stereotype, which has been proven false, but I think it's a good example of how Asians eat dogs, which again, has been proven false, is not a thing. However, it's a great example to me of culture clashing and kind of moral high grounding. I don't, I don't think it's right to eat dogs. I would never, but it's also why are we not as outraged for the cows or for pigs or for other animals? Kind of similarly when straws became a big topic, the sea turtles, everyone went all out for sea turtles. And it's like acknowledging not that any one animal is less or more valuable because in our ecosystem, you shouldn't be ranking animals just because But because you have a dog at home, that is what's going to outrage you as opposed to factory farming and other things. So to me, that's just kind of one of the more negative stereotypes, specifically in sustainability, that we should look a little bit more internally about and how, no, I would never eat a dog, but what else am I eating and condoning going on in this country? Yeah, there's so much in what you just said. Um, let me start here from the end. Um, so, yeah, you know, I I love that point about dog dog meat and and eating dogs because it's that's a conversation that I have actually had a lot in my life as well. Um, I don't know why it has come up so much. I think it came up more when we lived in Japan and, and it's not eating dog is not a common Japanese thing, but I do think just being more common in China and Korea, I think maybe it just came up more in conversation there, probably also from friends traveling over there and coming back to Tokyo or whatever. But I, um, you know, it's interesting because I always had the same thought. I was like, well, why, why is it bad to eat dog, but it's not bad to eat pig or cow or horse, you know, like all of these other meats. And I think the point that you made, I just really, really love and I want to highlight and I think we should talk about more is that what we believe and what we see as wrong. And and I, I think, like you said, it's it can be a very, very strong moral feeling inside someone that something is wrong. But I think peeling back that layer and recognizing that that comes from our own life and our own conditioning. So if we have a dog as a pet, we're going to see a dog very differently than a pig that we may not have as a pet. And then the next person who has a pig as a pet is going to see a pig very differently than a cow. You know, it's it's so different based on the way that we have grown up and what we have seen and just what even, I guess, as an adult, we choose to bring into our lives that frames so much what our view is on what is, you mentioned these words, I think, the moral high ground. Um, the beginning then also of what you said, I feel like is really important, which is 
you know, we're kind of talking about like, oh, there are trends or there are certain things that seem common for Asian people or certain things that seem common for Asian American people and certain things that seem common for Americans that are non-Asian people. And we're kind of like acting like there's these different trends that can be believed in, which we call stereotypes. And I, I often find with myself that I do think you know, stereotypes are just something that I think we probably automatically do as humans that help us kind of navigate life. But I kind of feel like they they cause more harm than they do good because it does make us stop thinking of people as individual people and thinking of people as groups of people and just assuming that everyone who happens to have that characteristic is going to represent that. And so I really appreciate, you know, that part of of what you said in the beginning as well. Do you find this type of conversation to be something that you're having often around just how complex individuals are and how there's so much that makes us up and what our values would be because of that? I think there are conversations that happen just as one gets older, kind of with that whole quarter life crisis what am I? What's my purpose here? What do I want to be doing? What are my goals? From kindergarten through high school, at least in America, it's very structured. You're very set on a path. You go from elementary school to middle school to high school. And then now, probably, because right now trade schools are not valued the way they should be in this country, you go to college. You need to go to university. You need a degree. And then now you need a master's and a PhD and everything. Like a master's is the new bachelor's degree. And after you're out of that pipeline you're just kind of supposed to get it and people act like well you'll figure it out like I figured it out so I think that is difficult and I think quarantine has taught us all ideally kind of to be more self-reflective and I think intersectionality is a term that I'm sure has been around but I only sort of started hearing and using and I think that with everything that went on in 2020, it's ha- it's caused a lot of conversations, comfortable, uncomfortable, internal, external, about these issues and how they all culminate. And something that I know you were saying about kind of seeing people as individuals and versus groups, I feel can be a bit of a double-edged sword where we are in society. Because yes, I am my own individual and I have my own Asian American experience. However, for instance, when I'm walking down the street and someone has a negative stereotypes about Asians, I can't stop being like, wait, I, I was adopted, I grew up in an American household, I have these things, like, it's not me because I look Asian and if that's what's in their head that's there so it's kind of about appreciating and balancing where you are an individual and kind of doing what you can while also having to acknowledge where our systems have failed us and how we can work within them and outside of them to push us all forward one nice thing to come out of the quarantine is that i do think this is so much more 
of a conversation. And to your point, a lot of the systems that are there and the stereotypes are coming out more and more and more well-known, right? Because people are at least open to the conversation and open to hearing feelings. And I kind of feel like, I don't know if you're seeing this as well, but I feel like people are sharing their feelings more easily now as well. It's almost like the world's platform has opened up a little bit to recognize that we all have feelings <laughs> and everyone hurts when these stereotypes are put against them and being able to like share those out loud and then other people can hear them. I also feel like that's kind of changed over the past year too. Definitely. I think for a lot of people of color, again, I'm not speaking for everyone, but from the group of people of color I've surrounded myself with, who I follow on social media, who I've heard, when you're in predominantly white spaces, there is a bit of assimilation that goes on. And it's something that you and your POC community just or BIPOC community know you just have to do. You just know that's how you move through spaces. You know it's how you're safe to move through spaces. So when something like this comes on, and luckily I think a lot of non-POCs are kind of asking and being willing to hear and listen, their PO, like their POC friends are like, oh, you deal with that? It's like, well, I do. I just never brought it up because it's not, it wasn't, I didn't think it was something we would talk about. It was just understood um one of the movies I watched that I know is based on a great book The Hate You Give about a girl in LA whose friend gets shot by the police um police brutality kind of thing protesting young people but in the trailer she talks about code switching and I had never heard what code switching was she was a young black girl and it's the way that particularly black communities move and speak differently throughout white communities and if you've only seen a black person in a dominantly white space you might not have any clue about the struggles the microaggressions things they're facing because until recently it didn't seem like people outside of the communities facing the oppression were willing and or capable of having those conversations you know, can I ask you, in the conversations that you've had with your friends, were these conversations happening in the past a lot? So I guess, yeah, my question is, were the conversations happening just not with white people? Or is it all of this conversation is becoming a conversation more recently? I'm just curious. Um, I think... Not to be super diplomatic here, I think it's both. I think it depends if it was brought up or not. I think personally, one of the things that I've had conversations with over the years is the way certain POCs respond to the question, oh, what are you? In my personal life experience, I never took offense to the to that question nor did I understand it I think it was a bit naive on my part and I would always respond right back to the typically non-POC person oh like where are you from and if they said American I would always continue to ask questions because in my brain unless you are Native American 
your family goes back to another country. And I'm curious about the heritage of that other country your family's from. However, some of my other friends who are POC, that question help that question holds a lot more weight because it implies a lack of validity of being in the space, which I was fortunate to not experience in that way. So I have had these conversations and I think it depends on the community. My mother has always been very active for the environment, for civil rights. She was the first girl to wear jeans at her high school and got like suspended for it. Like, so I'm, there are plenty of white Americans who I know do care and who are educating themselves and who are part of that conversation. I think what the shift is, is learning to uplift those voices instead of just kind of I think there's a big, there's kind of two sides to this of, is it more effective to uplift the POC voices or for white people to go back to their spaces of dominantly white people and help them hear it in a more palatable way? And I don't think there's a right answer similarly to sustainability. I don't think there's a right answer. I think I don't know if Brene Brown coined this quote or where it comes from, but done is better than perfect. Effort is better than non-effort and you might not get it right. However, not getting it right means an attempt was made and I hope we can all show each other grace during this time of transition because the world literally is on fire. At least California is. (laughs) Isn't that true? Well, and, you know, yeah, it's like, this just shows like, I feel like you and I could sit here and talk for another three hours about the intricacies of this and the depth of it, you know, and um, I'm also finding myself wanting to do that. And I don't know how many other people are out there wanting to do it. But something that Jay and I are going to do at least once, maybe more, is host a conversation on Clubhouse for those of you who are listening and are watching and want to be a part of the conversation too, so that we can all talk to each other. Because right now, like Jay and I can talk to each other and exchange thoughts. And like I said, forever, we probably could. But also, I know I want even more people in the conversation. And I think you do, too. Definitely. And so that is something that we do want to invite everybody to um, is to join us on Clubhouse for the conversation. And we did not pick a specific time yet, I just realized. So you can follow follow both of us if you are on Clubhouse and, and it'll be sometime next week. So I'm on Clubhouse at Brandy Heidi Montague or Brandy H. Montague. And how can they follow you, Jay? That is a great question. I'm not sure what my Clubhouse is. <laughs> well, so, There's so, so come follow me and then I'll help you find yes. Jay. <laughs> yeah, there. I have so many usernames. I grew up with Neopets and a MySpace and like a Totally Spies page and like all of those old like Club Penguin that I'm sure I have a user for somewhere. I can't keep them. I can't keep track of them all. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I just tried to change my clubhouse to Four Animals for Earth because when I signed up, I wasn't really thinking about it, but I really want four animals. I mean, most of my social media is four animals for earth, but mm-hmm. it's too big. It's too long and I can't change it. So anyway, you guys <laughs> can find me. Brandy Heidi Montague will find you to the right place. Um, 
And also something else that I realized that I have available here with the podcast is that you can call in and you can leave a voice memo. And um, actually, probably people could call in live too, but I don't know how to do that. So maybe we'll figure that out at some point. Um, But you can call and you can leave a voice memo. And I would love to, if anyone is listening to this conversation and would like to share, like, let's make an easy question. Like, what has influenced you the most in your life as it relates to sustainability and animal welfare? You know, like, what do you feel like has influenced you most? And if anybody wants to leave a voice memo about that, you go to um, anchor, let me get it right, anchor.fm slash for animals for earth. And it's very easy there to leave a voice memo. So if anybody is interested in joining in the conversation, those are two options. I would really, really love you to come join us on Clubhouse for the conversation. Um, And if you don't have Clubhouse, which I know a lot of people don't, you could join in with the voice memo, which is a fun thing that we can try to. Um, I wonder if you'll share one idea from what you've seen in your life, one simple idea that you think people could try if they want to make a difference for animals in the environment. I think one of the simplest switches people can make is to deal with the packaging of their products not in terms of when you get a box shipped to you but the form such as like shampoo bars bamboo toothbrushes glass instead of plastic paper instead of plastic all of those kind of things for whatever products you're normally buying bringing bags to the grocery store with you is a very simple one but my one addendum to this which i know we mentioned on my podcast too that i think is the important part use what you have already first before you want to make those sustainable switches because then you're wasting money and product that is now already in your possession so when I go to make sustainable switches I make sure okay I like using this face wash however it's plastic it comes in a bunch of plastic I know I mean it happens that I love one that's greener and cleaner and it comes in a paper box but the bottle is glass. So because I love it and it's also good for the environment, I just continue to buy that one. So I think it's using whatever you have and then look for small switches to be more sustainable because especially here, everything comes down to the dollar. And if everyone is switching to brands with more glass or more paper or recycled packaging or ethically made, more brands are going to invest there. What's the best way to find you? Is it through your podcast? Probably through the podcast or through our Instagram millennials, What's your- social media. It's at <laughs> in Omniapod because in Omniapodus was taken, unfortunately. So add in Omniapod on Instagram. Okay, perfect. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and then the the podcast is called In Omnia Paratus. And Jay mentioned this a couple of times, but she and I and her co-host Angela did a podcast episode together a few weeks ago all about this kind of same topic, but a little bit of a different lens about intersections between sustainability and ableism, sustainability and classism, just talking about lots of different ideas that 
um, we could come up with in that conversation that we might be able to try or anyone listening. So um, go follow Jay's podcast so that you can see that when it comes out and I'll link to it in the show notes once it's out too. And um, yeah, is there anything else that you want to share? I think, well, first, thank you for having me on. This was my first time guesting. It's definitely a different muscle than hosting. And I think just reiterating that impact versus intent. So sometimes your intent is there and the impact misses. And it's rather than taking it too personally, look at it as a challenge to do better so that next time the intent hits and matches the impact kind of going back done is better than perfect if the one thing you can do is remember to bring your bags I'm a big Trader Joe's family is to bring your bags to Trader Joe's now that you can start doing that again that's still more than getting the paper bags you're doing so doing anything is better than doing nothing and I think if you know you're doing it for the right reasons and you're trying to kind of silence the voices who are telling you well, what about the water what about the animals what about this what about electricity what about gardening what about everything just take what you can for where you are and know that it's one thing that you're doing that is a choice to be doing rather than a passive decision I hope you enjoyed today's episode and want to be a part of this conversation too. Just a reminder that there are two ways right now that you can do that. Jay and I will be hosting a room together on Clubhouse next Tuesday, March 30th at 12 o'clock Pacific Standard Time called Sustainability. What is your why? And I would love so much if you are on the Clubhouse app, if you would come over and join us and tell us what your why is and just help us continue this conversation conversation. If you're not on Clubhouse, I have the option for you to leave the voice memo. And that is something that I would so love for you to do too, because I really am excited about this idea of doing a roundup episode in which we all share what our whys are and learn from each other and just gain inspiration from each other. And if it works, then we can do future roundup episodes like that on um, lots of different topics. So I hope you are up for doing that. You can do that again at at anchor.fm slash four animals for earth. Of course, the link will be in the description and the show notes. And if neither of those two options work for you, but you're really dying to have this conversation, you can jump over and join our private community. I am just beta testing the private community right now. So it's really, really in its infancy stages. But if you are interested, you can join us at four animals for earth.com slash private community. Okay, thank you so much again from the bottom of my heart for being here and listening and supporting the show. I will see you next week. Bye.